The demons, the demons are always there, there. We are the Tennis Tragic. It is Saturday, January the 25th, 2020. Day six of the Australian Open is about to start. We are trying to record a podcast really quickly and get it out so that we can go to the tennis. Um, but yesterday was bananas. There was all kinds of crazy stuff that happened we want to talk about. So um, where to begin? Uh, Roger Federer and John Millman kept us up uh, well past midnight last night and playing a five-set epic. Um, Millman kind of played his heart out. Uh, Serena Williams uh, lost to Wang Shang uh, in a match that we saw intermittently on the grounds and uh, featured a lot of um, Serena bellowing. Mm-hmm. Um, what else happened? Coco Goff got yeah. her first win over a top five opponent, taking out Naomi Osaka and uh, making Osaka look as old as Federer. Yeah, and the other upset was Raonic taking out Tsitsipas. Yep. Raonic. So quite a few fell yesterday. Yep. It was like like dominoes, like one after the other. Yeah, and then we thought Federer was going to fall too, because I reckon for the whole match, he looked like, he looked vulnerable. I, I don't think he... I don't think I believed he was going to win until it was, the match was over. Yeah, it was like that kind of belief that you have if you've watched Federer for long enough and think maybe he can just do something special in any moment. Uh, like he sort of delivered on that promise last night, but it didn't really feel like that was going to happen. Um, you only would believe that if you were a fan and you, you'd seen that movie before. But, uh, you know, yeah, he was down 8-4 in the, in the match tiebreak. He was down a break in the final set. Milman was the better player for much of the match. Yeah, um, and he had the more energy. He was, running, he was running down everything. He wasn't making as many errors. Federer, I think Federer like, was spraying a few balls uncharacteristically. And, um, and I just thought, like... It's, they're both 38, Serena and Roger, both 38, like, maybe this is it, then they go down in the third round together on the same day, and that would signal the end of that generation, or the beginning of the end of that generation. Yeah, it's like the fall of Roman civilization or something. Um, yeah, they- Serena wouldn't have that, though. In her press conference, she reckons she's on the come up, which is hard to believe, but if she feels that way, that's pretty impressive, if she can back it up. I was saying yesterday, you know, one thing about Serena's uh, period of dominance that's even more impressive to me is that, you know, she's winning Grand Slams playing best of three. You know, she doesn't have the luxury that Roger has, if you could call it a luxury, of having, of, of being able to like have an off day and still fight your way back by, you know, clawing out three sets over a period of four hours. It just seems to me that on the women's side, an upset of a top player is not necessarily that crazy. Somebody can just get hot for an hour and that can determine, mm. de- determine the outcome. So for Serena to have won, is it 23 or 24 slams? 20, 23. and 24 is the Margaret Court record yeah. that she's trying to get to. Such an um, arbitrary number in my opinion. Oh yeah, the Margaret Court record is kind of nonsense. Yeah. But it also drives Serena, yeah. I think. You know, she wants that record for herself. She right? does. And it seems like that's the only reason she's still playing. Because in the press conference, they asked her, they brought it up and she, her first thing was 
yeah, I'm not out here playing for fun or to win or to lose. <laughs> like, if you're not out here playing for fun, what are you doing? <laughs> like, she just wants that number. It sounds like, which you know, it's one thing. That's sure, if, if she's already won everything, so wow, she's not having fun. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah, her words. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a part of me, you know, I'm not a big Serena fan. Um, I kind of would like her to get the record because I feel like she is the greatest player of all time on the women's side. Yeah. And she should just have the record. But, you know, it's also at some point, life just kind of takes you another direction and they get old. Like, yeah. we, we were also commenting on how Roger looked after that match. Like, he looked a little, he looked befuddled. He looked old. Um, he, couldn't, he could barely talk. Yeah, sort of like us on a normal day. This incredible athlete. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm only speaking for myself. Uh, he... <laughs> That's even worse, thanks. <laughs> um, like, he just, you know, he was having trouble forming sentences, finding the right words. I mean, it's this thing, like, he just spent four hours on a tennis court. He drew all this adrenaline. Yeah, the adrenaline. Body and... And, like, he was just left a husk of a person. Um, I don't know. That Maybe that's not unusual for anybody, but he's just he's such an athlete that we don't really expect to see that from somebody like Roger. That was just me dropping a pin. Ah, okay. I was, uh, was making sure we weren't under attack. Late last night, there were, like, uh, fireworks outside. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. It's, like, one in the morning. It's uh, not Australia Day, is it? Uh, no, that's on, <laughs> wait, that's tomorrow. Yeah. It's tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. All we right. like to call it Invasion Day. Invasion Day. Uh, yes, right. There's yeah. an Invasion Day March. Right. Tomorrow. Are you going to go? Um, I don't know where it is in Melbourne, like, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, you know, our, our country also loves to celebrate it's, uh, you know, it's national identity by blowing shit up, so... Um, something we have in common, but that's what made me think of it. Otherwise, I have no attachment to the holiday whatsoever. Yeah. So, but they always they always celebrate it like you know in kind of gross way at the Australian Open. Yeah, um, they because right. it always happens during the Australian Open. Mm. Right, that's that's basically what I associate it with. Um, but no fun for Serena. I I think um, hopefully she's having fun in life, and I also think. That maybe we don't know what her form is because she hardly plays any tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people made a big deal out of her winning in Auckland. Um, but it didn't, that wasn't the tournament where all the best female players were. It was like winning a challenger, let's be honest. You know, it's not, not that extreme, but all the top 10 players were over in Brisbane fighting it out, and she went to Auckland where there was. Who was the biggest ranked player after that? I don't even know. It was. I don't know. She beat Jennifer Pegula in the final. I mean, it was. It wasn't the same kind of test. I think I think the argument was she just needed to get through a final. She because that's yeah. been the problem at the slam. She gets to the final and then she kind of falls apart. Yeah. Um, so you know there there is a psychological element to that where it starts to become like a habit. Like oh I get to the final and I just I blow. Yeah. It. Yeah. No. So, um, and she you know um, I mean Serena when you know she just you do kind of expect her to win. We were watching that match the second set. You had kind of gotten my attention, Alex, because you texted and said, like, oh, like, Serena's down a, a break in the second set. And yeah, down a set and a break, yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was inside, what, like, briefly watching Petra Kvitova, like, absolutely humiliates mm. uh, this woman, Alexandrova, from Russia, who apparently was tw a 25 seed, but yeah, um, did yeah. not look like she belonged at all on the court. So 
it was like, okay, this is much more interesting. I'm going to go outside and watch on the Jumbotron, the not very Jumbo Jumbotron. And, um, and yeah, and then Serena, you know, broke back. Yeah. Mom got a little nervous. Um, Serena took it to a tie break, took the tie break. Kind of felt like, okay, this is just kind of That's what goes, I thought, too, right? yeah. And uh, I didn't watch the third set, but yeah, Wong ended up kind of closing the deal. And uh, she had to go deep. It was 7-5 in the, in the third. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just it's just the thing that annoys me. I said to Matt while we were watching, that the reason I don't like Serena and don't like to see her win at this point is because she's she never gives it up to the opponent, ever. It's Whenever she loses... She'll come out and say it's because she made too many errors. She was playing badly. She had an off day. It's problems with her. She never gives it up and says, I've just played a really good opponent. They played great tennis. It was a good match and I lost. It's never, it's never like that with her. Even in this press conference, someone pushed her about Wong. They said, you know, in the US Open, you, you crushed her. It was, I don't know, I can't remember the score. It was like 6-1, 6-1, something like that. And... Uh, and they asked, you know, what, how much of that was going through your head and how did you adapt? And Serena's answer was kind of like, yeah, she was playing a little different this time. And, you know, she was prompted like, better, do you mean? She's like, I just, I just made heaps of errors. No, I just, I just made errors. I, I wasn't playing good enough to be a professional athlete. It's like, give it up. Wong played an amazing game of tennis, you know? Yeah, well, that kind of self-deprecation just seems totally false. Like not good enough to be a professional athlete. Yeah. That's also kind of diminishing what your opponent accomplished. Yeah. Now, I, I do take, as you know, Alex, like I take the stance that these these legends of the sport, they really do like mostly have, they have 99% of matches on their own racket. Like if they play their best, they don't get beaten. And they have to believe that also. They have to, they have to internalize it and have mm. the sense like, it is always under my control. And if I do what I can do, then I'm unstoppable. And that's how they get to that level of winning mm. 20 plus slams, which is just an insane thing to do. Now, there is still a way to be that and believe that in your head and also just to be gracious, mm. you know, to be sporting and, you know, to give it up for an opponent. Like, you know, Roger was pretty gracious, you know, talking about Millman afterwards. It was much easier to do when you won the match. Right? Totally. You know, if Roger had lost, I think he'd be like, oh, spraying forehands everywhere and I just... You know, I just couldn't feel the ball tonight and I felt a little tired and, you know, he would never admit to feeling old, I don't think. But, no, it's um, true. He does, Yeah, it's true. It is easier to be gracious when you win. But I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't want this to... It's true. It happens on both sides. It happens all around with all, all the big players and they all do it a bit. But yeah, some more graciously than others, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess so. I just, I find it hard, I mean, I, I've also noticed these traits about Serena, but, um, you know, she's in a totally different situation that I, than I understand, yeah. um, and with all them, these press conferences and, and everything. Also, you know, she, she's become such an inspiration to so many people, and um, I kind of have to respect that. I also think she... Um, you know, she's had a kid recently and she's got all this other stuff going on. She's, you know, she was coached to be a number one player from very, like, from a, from a little kid. She had that, she's had that, that whole mentality of trying to be a professional athlete from that young age. And I, that's really shaped her, um, I guess, her, her mentality. So um, that would change a person's you know, outlook on life. Yeah, it's really hard to identify with that. I would say it's impossible. 
you know, we hold athletes up in this way as role models. You know, we expect a certain kind of behavior. Like, you know, you know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with moralizing, you know, like Serena was a bad person when she did this or like, you know, Serena needs to set a better example. Like, I, you know, who am I to really say that? But it's just, you know, they're a public figure and we have this shared experience of them as a public figure. And we lose sight of their humanity in that a lot of the time. Like, she's, she's just a person. She's got feelings. Like, she can't be happy with what happened on the court yesterday. She had big hopes and expectations for herself. Um, you know, and so certainly I just think it's like, it's hard to find that line when you talk about it where you can be critical and say like, you know, like Serena's, the way she behaved, I don't, I don't love it. Like, I think she could have done better in that moment the way she talked about her opponent, but it doesn't make her a bad person or like diminish anything that she's done. I still think she's like, she's the greatest female player of all time. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I take those two things separately. I, I respect everything she's done. I think she's one of the greatest female players that's ever been there. But I, yeah, but yeah, I, the personality traits in general, I'm not talking about this one incident. So I'm, I just, one incident, I just feel like in general, her person, yeah. yeah Again, she, we're judging a personality and who knows? I don't know her, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, all we have is what happens on court, you yeah. know? It's, um, and yeah, that's just the lens through which we examine these people. Um, but there's a round tennis, because like we always see her, you know, um, getting interviewed around the tennis the, the tennis match but then when there's other other press that I've seen her do or other videos of her when it's like something not to do with tennis mm. just in her social life um, like still in a public way but she seems joyful and happy and mm. um, interested in the people around her and just like a cool person in, so I think yeah. you know, there's obviously the non-tennis side of people is when they can relax maybe even be themselves a bit more yeah you know and i also think i tend to like people a little bit better when they show their humanity when they show that they're not perfect you know like a public figure you can see like yes she's like serena is like seems like a person who loves the people around her and has interests outside of tennis and there's all these admirable qualities but then also like she can act selfishly like she that makes her human yeah it's just not like you know, I think one of the things about Roger, and this does, even though I'm a big Roger fan, it, it kind of, it just seems absurd to me. Like, people act like he's a walking deity, you know? It's yeah. like, he shits gold and there's yeah. nothing, he's never so done or said anything wrong. And, you know, we kept making fun of some of the, like, the Roger fans in the audience they would show. Because they do seem, they seem like hysterical, like, Beatlemania kind mm. of fans who just, like, they just think he's he's a prince. And... Um, I think that's a very strange way to look at another human being. Yeah, we're all assholes sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking for myself anyway. I, and I they are too. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And but it is like I think Roger must he must cultivate this this outlook. I think he's very skilled at saying just the right things and mm. kind of behaving just that, you know, we were joking about how he's won the sportsmanship award for 15 years in a row, which is also absurd. Like, yeah. like he's the only one who's like behaving well on the court, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I, like, I likened him to a politician the other day. And I, I still really feel like he, he know he knows how to craft his public perception really meticulously well, I think. And he's very aware of, of keeping that in perceived in a certain way, I think. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's a good, it's, a, it's an amazing skill actually to have that much control over your 
identity and, and the personality you project is it's actually kind of enviable. Yeah, and um, so this is why I think I highlighted that um, the demons are always lurking quote that he mm. did that he that came out of him in the post match interview because that that showed a certain amount of like like awareness of his mortality, but also like a re- a him revealing his his inner pain. Mm. You know, like of course, like we've talked about it so many times because I will never get over the Wimbledon final that he lost <laughs> to Djokovic. And, and I think of Djokovic eating the grass, you know, like with the gleam in his eye, like how he just escaped certain death at the hands of Roger <laughs> Federer. And Federer's just watching, like, you know, in the, in the locker room, just weeping, you know, like, oh, like, he just can't believe he so lost close. this thing. I mean, that's how I would react because I'm not, I'm not emotionally resilient in the way these top athletes have to be. Yeah. Like, Roger has to let it go. But then last night, he's like, no, the demons are always yeah. lurking. Like, they're there. He does think about them. And in those moments when he's like, when it's all on the line, he's about to bow out to John Millman in the third round of the Australian Open. Um, he is thinking about that. And so that may, it's like that little glimmer of humanity. And uh, that makes me like him more. Mm. But Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, so it was a fun day. Um, what, else, uh, what else did we see? You get catch well, some... Oh, you got something? Well, we started off um, seeing Dusan Lajevic play Diego Schwartzman. Right. That was that was great. And we were sitting right next to Diego Schwartzman's box mm-hmm. on Migrant Court. Um, That's always a fun experience, just getting the... Because you can just tell, like, when Diego's, like, emoting, he's, he's basically right at you. You know, you yeah. get a sense, sense for... Um, for them, they're a lot of the time. Like if a player emotes on court and they're doing it somewhere else, you can't hear them or yeah. get a sense for it at all. So yeah. it's a really fun live experience. I like Schwartzman's interactions with his box. Even when he loses a point, it's it's kind of like a positive determination. You know, it's never like ah, oh, this is all nonsense. I'm this is you know never. It's never that resignation, angry. It's just like okay, let's regroup. He's just got this. He's just determined. It all seems really positive. I guess he was winning the match, so it's easier. But, he, yeah, I like him a lot as a yeah. person. Well, so on the flip side, Matt and I caught uh, Tennis Sandgren and Sam Query later in the day. Like, when we, were, we were basically just killing time. We didn't really have a particular interest in the match. But I found Tennis Sandgren really compelling to watch. And also, <laughs> I, just because he's such a strange character, you know, and he's got this past that's kind of... You know, that's a little bit negatively colored because of social media stuff he posted. And, yeah. like, you know, he kind of revealed himself to be, like, a Trumpster and a Pizzagate. conspiracy theorist who believed, who was curious about Pizzagate. And, <laughs> um, but the thing about him I was live, just curious. Yeah, right. I'm really giving him the benefit of the doubt because <laughs> I've decided I like him. He's wearing this, like, surfer. He's, like, gotten super burly. And he's wearing this kind of, like, you know, these, like, board shorts and, like, a, you know, and a tank top. And, um... And his game style was actually pretty interesting. I mean, he, he, you know, his movement was incredible for a guy who's like basically this human rock. Um, but what was most striking about Tennis Sandgren was how thin-skinned he was. Like he, so there were fans who were rooting for Sam Query, calling him, uh, what was it? Q-tip. Q-tip, Q-stick. Q-stick, right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, come on, Q-stick, you can do it, break back. Like, and Sandgren's like, shut up! <laughs> Yeah, and he got really upset, and he's asking the umpire to intervene. And then someone said, uh, just play tennis, tennis. And then he's like, oh, you're real funny. <laughs> and it was like, he, at the moment, he was up like a set and a break or something. Like he was, or maybe even two sets. He was winning the match. There was nothing wrong. And then he, then he was winning points. And then, then, um, then he was saying to himself, uh, I 
didn't do good enough on that shot and stuff like that. He was like, he was serving an ace and then it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Yeah, at one point he was like, oh, my serve is just, the, where, where is it? It's the worst. Like, it's just dead. You know, like he had this really like over the top. Oh, my serve is just the worst, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, that's funny. I, I liked watching him for those reasons. He's like, well, he, he but, got into the crowd. Yeah. Just back to that Schwartzman match quickly. There was that, uh, the point that was pretty, pretty harsh against Leibich. Remember that one? The, he had, oh, in the, in the Leibich, third set tiebreak. Tie third set tiebreak. Leibich had a set point in, during the tiebreak and he served, did a first serve out wide and it caught the line. It was called out. Um, he reviewed it and it was in. And the umpire gave the point to no, made them replay the point Random rather replay. than rather than give the point to Leibich, which would have been the set point and taken it to a fourth set. Uh, and they replayed it, and I think I can't remember what happened after there, but it was it, he should have he should have just had the set done. Schwartzman won the point on Leibich's yeah. serve, I think. Yeah, and it was also like like it felt in the moment I was like, oh, Dulé's really letting it go because this was one of those bang bang things where the serve was out wide like the call out comes as Schwartzman is hitting the ball and it's like did that really affect the play Schwartzman didn't hit the ball in yeah no so it was on the, the stretch could yeah. have gone to Lajevic and the umpire just decided like okay we're gonna have to replay it and Lajevic was totally fine with it you know like which is which is very sporting yeah. you know but in that moment uh, but it did seem like the umpire match. didn't quite know what to do there was no call after that review there was no call she didn't she didn't call the score and she didn't say replay the point she was just waiting for something to happen mm. and then Leibich and Schwartzman were kind of looking at each other Leibich did like a twirly thing with his fingers sort of saying replay it but I don't know why he was suggesting that and then he just went back to the baseline and got ready to serve and then the umpire said replay the point like she waited until the players had worked out what they wanted to do and then just went with that and I thought that yeah. was. I think she should have jumped in there and just given it to him. Like, but I don't think she knew. I yeah, no, it's right. But I, I think the the problem there was that the umpire didn't make a strong decision in her mind about whether or not the shot came after or before the yeah. call. So then she didn't know, and then yeah, and it was kind of left to the players. And Dusan Lavich was being heaps nice. I yeah, think, by really saying, nice. By saying, "Look, you have. Um, let's play the point again." And then, and then Schwartzman did at the end of the match say, "Look, I got really lucky. I got really lucky at the mm. end there." Um, yeah, Lajevic was definitely being generous, but you know, I also think there's this element of like you gotta you gotta keep moving. Yeah, like don't because you could see the opposite thing happening where Lajevic is upset. That should be my point. Like this is too big of a moment. He throws a fit, and then he still has to serve again. Yeah, and then you know, but he it didn't work out for him either way. So. We'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. Um, so and we else? saw Sakari Keys on the same on Margaret Court as well. Oh yeah, I forgot about that match completely. That was really good. I really enjoyed that match. Yeah, um, you're a big Sakari fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she had a lot of Greek support, which it was okay in this one. I know it's been a bit questionable in times on this tournament. I think the Greeks have gone a bit far, apparently. She's the last Greek standing. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, and um, we were right near Madison Keys' box there, who was being very cheeky, coaching her during the crowd noise. <laughs> hit it up the middle! Go for your serve! Every time I would look over also, I'd be like, who just spoke? Like, I almost felt like they were, like, throwing their voice. There are so many ways you could coach a player live if you just were being a little clever about it. Yeah, yeah, and they um, were. <laughs> and, they, and they should just be able to anyway. It's just yeah. silly, and, like, 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 that piece of advice is going to make a huge difference. No, yeah. Um, but Madison Keys, like, 
don't know. I like her, but her. I just feel like it's either either she's crushing balls and they're going in and she wins the match, or she's crushing them and they're flying wild. And that was yesterday. She just couldn't put anything in the court. And, you know, it's she's just one of those... I think that's one of my problems with those big hitting players, men and women, where it's like it they're, they're really in control. It's just up to them. Like, the match is kind of up to how well they're playing, which is, you know, maybe taking something away from Sakari, like mixing it up, making mm-hmm. it difficult for Keys to get into a rhythm. But um, it wasn't super compelling for me to watch. And Maddie just looked totally dejected after. She, like... The second she could, she got off the yeah, court. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of, kind of sad. But yeah, a lot of seeds falling yesterday. It was like, seemed like the tournament had gone to form. And then all of a sudden, in one day, um, you know, like I think a half dozen seeds maybe or more uh, on both sides. Yeah, I saw you know, Roberto Bautista Agud get knocked out by Chilich. Yeah. Over on Melbourne Arena. I got in there, I think, in the third set. And it was one set all. Uh, it was going along was going along really competitively and then RBA got bageled in the fourth set out of nowhere and we we're all just watching in shock like what happened here and and then at the end of the fourth set Chilich got a medical timeout he got the physio out and had some work done on his thigh and his back and I thought okay this is Roberto's got this now but came out and they I think they traded breaks in the fifth set and and Chilich Chilich managed to get there it was a really it was a really good match actually yeah it was good really really just incredibly low deep backhand like ground strokes really low slices really strong ground strokes it was just brutal match but then also really deft little drop shots out of nowhere it was it was yeah compelling it's good yeah now so now they're lined up for uh chillich and roundage in the fourth round you know it's like uh, it's like it's 2017 all over again mm. um you know i think a lot of people just have been overlooking the two of them uh chillich obviously a slam champion has been in two other slam finals, Raonic has been in at least one slam final. He's been in a semi here. Um, and it's really just injuries for these guys. Like, either one of them could suddenly put it all together. I don't think there's any reason that they're, like, physically past their peak. Mm. Um, and Raonic, you know, I didn't watch a lot of the match against Tsitsipas, but it was old Raonic. He's just dominating with his serve, but then also, yeah, like, putting a lot of pressure on at net, like, coming in behind the serve, finishing points, making mm. it impossible for Steph to get any kind of rhythm... And uh, so the two of them, Ranich and Chilich, I think they're going to play on a secret court so that nobody has to watch. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And then the winner will probably play Novak Djokovic in the quarters. That's yeah. What it looks like at the moment. It'd be interesting. Um, so did you get to see any doubles yesterday, Matt? I saw a bit of Monique Adamzak playing with um, Katarina Shrobotnik, and she's playing against Gorivas Tormo and another Spanish woman. And um, she lost... Yeah, I, because Alex and I met her in um, Sydney. Shout out to FX Tennis in Five Dock. Five Dock? Yeah, yeah. FX Tennis. Um, and so, but unfortunately she lost her, so I get a bit frustrated with her serve. And then, but then she got to play on court three um, against Nick Kyrgios and... Anasimova. Anasimova. Um, yeah, she was playing with this, with this Spanish guy, Vega Hernandez. And... Um, yeah, I only saw that. Must have, been, must have been a thrill for for her being somebody who's you know more like more of a journey person on the tour to play against Nick Kyrgios to return a Nick Kyrgios serve. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, and I saw the end of um, Venus and Piers 
um, taking the, taking their match against um, Maya and Delvonis. Delvonis, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm upset that Venus broke up with Raven Glasson. Yeah, they were I, your favorite duo. Yeah, I thought they were a good pair, and I just think like maybe Michael Venus thought he could do better, um, or whatever. But um, Glasson's out in the second round. Um, but yeah, who else in dogs did I see? Oh, I saw um, the number one seeds in the women, um, Strucheva and Chase Way. They had an, played an incredible match point to to win. I just saw the, like the very end. I've been seeing a lot of ends of matches just yeah. on the back courts, and um, yeah, they were really really happy with with getting their win. So they're on to the second round now. Um, we saw Julia Gerges and Ali Risk play on court two. Yeah, and that was a fun one, actually. That was sort of, again, we were just sort of in between matches and not sure where to go, and uh, we were able to sneak on there. And Gerges was up a set um, on Risk, and uh, they were late in the second and ended up in a tiebreaker, which Risk took. And then uh, Risk played pretty strongly in the third and, and won handily I thought and um, yeah she sets up a rematch with Ash Barty who she beat at Wimbledon yeah that's going to be good and while we were there I was, I was thinking because you're so close on those courts and I just I wanted the match to go further so we could stay a little bit longer yeah. and so I was yelling out to go go Julia I was go Ali at first because Ali needed to win the second set right. but how much can you affect the match or how much um, do the players enjoy or dislike when people are calling out for them because especially not so much on court two but as what when i was watching suarez navarro on court 13 or um Chungaliti on court 14 um they can hear you, you just you're there over the rail like virtually almost oh, yeah. on the court and you just say come on marco come on carla um but i'm wondering sometimes am i saying that too much am i annoying them or is that, am I actually helping them? I think if it's just supportive uh, encouragement type stuff, I think that can only be good. Just hearing somebody say your name and like, you know, that positive energy. You know, even um, I think these pros must be able to tune everything out, but they do notice Millman was talking in his press conference about how some guy was heckling him in the front row. And then he heckled him back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you could see how Tennis Sandgren was getting upset about stuff that maybe he was hearing and we weren't. You know, it's like um, they're they're right on top of it, and it does take a lot of their energy to to deal with that. So yeah, fans can interject themselves into the matches, and it's very rare that I see a fan like get to a place where they try to you know where the security will move to remove them or something. Mm-hmm. Like like generally, the the umpires kind of let it go. It's mm-hmm. like. You know, people want to like be be loud and say things as long as it doesn't cross some line of, you know, like cursing or mean or like abject meanness or something. Uh, you know, you could you really can have an impact on the match. Mm. But I, I did notice a group of cops lurking around the pro Greek fans, mm. um, just outside the courts right. yesterday because there, there was a lot of chanting going on outside. Just um, yeah, a group of supporters. I, you know, I thought they were having fun, but the police were there ready to remove somebody. Yeah, they, um, they really lean into that, like, that, um, like, football club kind of, you know, um, cheerleading situation. I saw a bunch of the Greeks, like, outside, outside of Margaret Court Arena before, 
uh, before the Sakari match, and it was like they're huddling up and like planning their chants or something. Personally, I, like, I, I, I think that's great planning chants and everything like that. I, I know it's something that tennis fans aren't used to as yeah. much because it's it's more about the, the hush right. um, when you're watching the match, and then football's like it's all the time. You can do whatever you can say whatever you want, right. and you can yell out. Well, you can't say whatever you want, but um, you can be. You can make a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I maybe it's just my personality or something that I've come. I just want a little bit of peace and quiet, and yeah. like that's some, one of the subtle joys of being a tennis fan is that at its best, like it's it's kind of serene. It's serene, but can also get intense. And that's this really interesting contrast. And sometimes live, when you're really you're sitting really close to a bunch of guys who are just like being drunk and loud and you know singing songs, it's like guys, could you just give it a rest and like <laughs> just watch the thing? Yeah, the chance when they when they're well organized and, and good, they're good. There was a group of women at the Roberto Batista good Chile match who had a really nice musical, well organized chant and just brought a smile to everyone near them. Every time Chilich won a point, they'd do it, and it was just, it was just the best. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you guys record it or no? Uh, no, I should have. I should have, I should have recorded it, actually. Well, let's try idea. it. Let's try it now, then, shall we? <laughs> One, two, three, four. Chi, chi, chi. Chi, 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 chi. Chi, chi, chi. Chi, 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 chi.